VinePair's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair podcast. And Zach, before we get into today's topic, um, are things starting to, to warm up for you in Seattle yet? I know I was just out in California um, this past week, and it's crazy, man. Like, even in Northern California, it felt like spring, and it's, you know, still late February. So I don't, I don't know what the heck's going on here besides the global warming. It's pretty insane. Well, you know, I will say that, like, my experience with California and Northern California is that actually, yeah, you get like some really nice weather in Jan- often in January and February. Uh-huh. Not like super hot, but it's sunny and and kind of uh, relatively nice. And we've actually had some nice weather in Seattle, which has been um, a welcome change because January was insanely rainy, and so uh, the last week or so has been actually pretty nice. Uh, okay, fair bit of sun and all that. So yeah, how how was your trip? It was good, man. It was a uh, really interesting. Um, you know, I should get out to California more often than I do. There's a joke I think that some of the people out there were telling us that that's pretty true, unfortunately, that the New Yorkers in the beverage world, we tend to go east to Europe more often than west to California, your neck of the woods in Washington and Oregon, which is which is a pity. I don't know why that is. It's just I think we think, oh, we can get on a plane and in six or seven hours I can be, you know, up in the morning in France or Italy and we can do the same thing and maybe it's a few hours less and I'm in California and for whatever reason, we just don't think about it as often. Um, so I always love when I do get to go out to, um, to those wine regions. Cause there's, I mean, they are our premier wine regions in America. Um, and then, you know, obviously really great beer scenes and cocktail scenes as well. So it was cool. Um, had some amazing meals, uh, got to drink some good things. I always try to spend at least one night in San Francisco on my way home. Uh, just to see what's happening in that city in terms of the drink culture, because you know, obviously, a lot of cool people doing interesting stuff in the world of cocktails, wine, and beer as well. So uh, it was overall really good. Um, but I'm happy to be home. I'm tired, and I'm going to leave <laughs> again in a week and a half for Charleston. So never stops. Yeah, yeah, you're uh, you are. If you if anyone follows Adam out on uh, out there on Instagram, you will see he is a he is a man in motion pretty much all never the time. Stops. Never saw. So what about you? Well, you know, they are good. We made it through uh, the Valentine's Day weekend, which was intense as always. And it's funny, you know, I, I think you and I had sort of interestingly similar experiences uh, in the last little bit because um, I know uh, we were talking before we started recording that uh, on your trip, you had a really cool experience with some uh, uh, midnight, early mid-90s uh, California Zinfandel. Yeah, and I opened a crazy a bottle- experience. Yeah, and I opened a bottle of uh of early actually no late eighties, goodness. Late eighties, uh, a five liter bottle on Valentine's Day of uh of Fetzer Cabernet Sauvignon. And we think of Fetzer now as kinda like I mean, we most people would not necessarily uh be excited about drinking that, I would think. But um but back in the day it was serious juice and it was really cool. Uh, you know, older older California wine has this its its own you know, sort of evolutionary story and is, is fun to try and to, when it, when it is in good shape and it holds up as it usually does. And, uh, and it was just, it was fun to pour for people in the restaurant because, you know, um, one of the, one of the things that, um, became clear is, you know, most of the people, even people in our restaurant who are, you know, experienced diners, drinkers, et cetera, they don't try a lot of older wine. And I mean, especially not 30 year old wine very often. And so, you know, kind of mixed reviews. Uh, not everyone was a fan and that's fine too. Um, it's definitely a different experience, but, uh, but it, it, it was just, it was striking to see how, um, how some people, it, it kind of lit them up. They were really yeah. into it. And, and some people were just like, well, this, this is not what I want. Give me my right. 2016. <laughs> right. I mean, it's interesting, right? So yeah, I got to have a 1993 bottle of Ravenswood, um, at, um, a really cool restaurant, um, called the Morris 
in San Francisco, which if you have not been, you got to go and eat the smoked duck because the smoked duck was a revelation. Um, but they have a really cool uh, list with lots of old stuff. Um, and, you know, we we're talking to the Psalm and she came over and I was basically like, you know, I, your list is, I mean, so this is one of those things, right? Where I was like, this list is too deep for me. I don't have time to go through this entire book of wines. Um, what do you think is like an amazing thing on this list that I should try that someone else might pass by? And she had like a 1993 bottle of Ravenswood single vineyard Zinfandel. They were selling for like, I want to say like low eighties. Oh right? my goodness. And I mean, Josh and I were joking because Josh was with me and we were saying like, that must have been a 20 or $30 bottle in, in 93. Yeah. Um, but it was amazing. Uh, but it did remind me of what you're saying now, which is like, you know, old wine isn't necessarily better. It's just different, right? There's yeah. things that happen to old wine that give it, you know, different flavors than young wine. And so you may like that. You may not. Um, I definitely have developed a taste for it in a lot of different ways. But then there are certain old wines that I like, oh, this is way, way past where I would yeah. ever want it to be. Um, which I think is a great segue into the t today's topic, which is uh, while I was out in California, I got a lot of questions from, so, you know, people in the industry, when we look at our consumer base, when we are talking about, you know, the market, does anyone collect wine anymore? Um, and if they aren't collecting wine anymore, why aren't they, right? Because I think really the generation, our parents' generation, the boomers were huge collectors. I think then the next generation um, and into Gen X were also somewhat decent collectors, but the, you definitely can see in the millennial generation and the generation coming after us, Gen Z, we don't really collect that much wine. Um, and why is that? Um, I mean, I have definitely have my own opinions as to why I think that's happening. Um, but Zach, first of all, do, do you, would you agree that probably a majority of people your age and younger are not collecting wine? Oh, for sure. And and it's actually funny to me because sometimes it's it's most uh, sort of vividly illustrated to me, not even so much with sort of just my friends outside of the the sort of beverage industry, because, you know, whatever, lots and lots of, in, of people of all generations, just if they were going to drink wine, would go buy a bottle at the store on their way home or, or, you know, maybe they'd buy it a day in advance. But I'm even amazed at the number of people I meet in uh, around my age or younger in the wine uh, industry who don't collect wine, who have, you know, maybe they've got 10 or 15 or 20 bottles, which for a lot of people would constitute a sizable collection. But when you're in tasting groups and things like that, that's not a whole lot of wine. And it, it just is interesting to me that for many of them, collecting wine is maybe something they would like to do in this sort of abstract and and just don't have time or space or, or discretionary income or whatever for. But it's also just, I think they're just not not for whatever reason, and, we'll, and I think you and I will discuss kind of some hypotheses, if nothing else, they're just not oriented around the idea of collecting. And and so it always makes me just kind of take a step back and go like, man, this thing that that I I think of as being one of the kind of hallmarks of being a, a wine lover, you know, in, at least in, you know, when I don't when I don't think too hard about it, which is collecting wine, you know, is not necessarily what people do um, even people who are who have all the reason in the world potentially to be collectors and 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 still just choose not to well so i think the biggest one of the biggest reasons that i think we we talk about after is space right but that's let's let's put aside space for the for right now i think the space is the easiest answer that uh, when we look at data across you know the country in terms of uh urban migration uh, you know the 
the rise of cities again and people in this age demographic and younger moving to those cities to work, right? Space is at a premium. But I think before we talk about that main issue, which I think is the, the real cause of why no one collects anymore, the secondary cause is if you look at collecting and you make it similar to collecting other things, right? Such as art. You ultimately collect either because you love something, which is like why, you know, I have lots of art on my walls. Naomi and I really love art. But if you get, we're not going to collect, we're not going to ever collect enough art that we can't display. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? So we're going to collect pieces that we love and the pieces that we've fallen out with, we're either going to give to someone else. Uh, maybe they'll love it. We're going to maybe try to sell, but we, we really try to keep stuff on our walls that we love from artists who we are passionate about, but we're not collecting to hold in a warehouse to flip. And that's, yeah. that's two reasons. One, we don't have the discretionary income, but two, it's a very hard market to understand. And it's a market that you can get wrong more often than you can get right. So you, if you're getting in the game to ultimately sell at a premium, you have to be really willing to delve in. And I think in the same regard on that side of wine collecting, it's so often not going to turn out well in terms of how you might flip that collection or what you would do with that collection. And at the end of the day, it's also hard to understand what you should buy because there's not a lot of, in the world of wine, let's say diamonds in the rough at this point, right? Everyone knows that Lafitte will appreciate in value, but Lafitte is expensive to begin with, even in the futures market for most, most people of our age who would collect. Uh, we know that DRC will always have massive value on the auction market, but Domaine Romani Conti is not available at a price point that we could afford to collect it in the first place, right? So, yeah. and the likelihood that you're going to buy wines from, I don't know, uh, a region in Greece, or even, even let's say a winery in Napa that might come out of nowhere, or is very rare at this point. And for whatever reason, right? I think there's actually amazing bottles coming from those places, which is going to get me to our, our point of why I think no one collects because we, the wine appreciators, we're finding these wines that we think are, you know, special and unbelievable, even though the auction market hasn't caught up. But mm -hmm. on the auction side, those aren't wines they've assigned value to. So what really, what's the payoff besides just like, oh, the wine's going to change and evolve in the bottle, and that's why I should hold on to them? Because for that. I will only, as you said, maybe want to hold on to 24 bottles or so. I don't need to build a seller that can hold thousands and thousands and thousands of bottles because yeah. again, like unless I've already, you know, it's almost like you get into collecting now when you're already rich, right? You yeah. can't just be someone who's, you know, middle-class and moving up in their career and start collecting if, if your end goal is financial, which for most people who collect lots of anything, right? Any kind of commodity, the ultimate goal is financial appreciation. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things going on here. I certainly agree with you that that trying to be ahead of whatever the wherever the wine auction market is going to go is a really difficult game. Um, it's just impossible to predict. You can, so you can either sort of if you have a ton of discretionary income, you can invest in blue chips. But I don't think that's even you know. I, I mean, I'm sure there's a there's a return on investment there. But but then you're buying wine. You know, you, you're you know in the same way that you would buy you know stock in a company or whatever, right? It's just an investment, and and so you know you're probably never going to drink any of those bottles of first growth Bordeaux or Grand Cru Burgundy or whatever it is you're choosing to buy. I think the the bigger obstacle in my mind for for a lot of people is is sort of this idea. It's two things. It, it, it's it's one 
that you know there there was this idea that was floated to me a while ago that you know as wine has become more of a more democratized and and obviously has a long way to go and I don't mean to say that it's anywhere near where it, where it could be or should be but but the the thing that's happened is you know you have a whole generation namely like our generation of of wine drinkers in a lot of ways who who are the children of people who didn't drink wine you know i don't know if your parents drank wine i think maybe they did my parents drank some wine but we're not collectors or anything like that and i know lots of people friends uh, you know who throughout the um you know, both in the industry and just friends of mine from other walks of life, and the ma- the vast majority of them, their parents don't have collections. They don't. They didn't grow up having the opportunity to be exposed to wine culture. They didn't. They didn't necessarily drink older wine when they were younger. You know, first kind of learning, and so everyone's palate is sort of oriented around young wine because that's what's on the market. That's what you can buy, and certainly when you're relatively young, it's all you can afford to buy for the most part, unless you happen to get the sweet deal at the Morris like you guys. Um, but most people, you know, right. just have no, they have no template in their mind for old wine. And like you were saying, and, and it's very true and, and always important to keep in mind with this, there is no absolute rule that older is better with wine. I mean, there are cases, I think, where I can make a, a reasonably substantiated argument that some wines are 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 clearly better with some amount of age, but that's a small slice of wine. And And even then, you know, I wouldn't get too up in arms if someone said you know what i prefer to drink my you know cabernet or my nebbiolo young um it's not what i prefer to do but i get why some people would and and i just think it's one of these things where you know when you don't have exposure to older wine in general and then you you add on the fact that that now if you go if i say it to you hey adam you know you want to start a wine collection go out go out and buy these wines and wait 10 years, 15 years to drink them. I mean, that's a pretty well, not compelling proposition to almost everyone. No, I mean, so, so that, 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 you know, sort of leads into that other point I wanted to make about space, which I think is a good one uh, that on top piggybacking on top of what you're saying, which is that, okay, so we don't have that, that much experience with, you know, old wine to begin with. Then on top of that, like lack of experience with old wine, we also now are, being told that we need to set aside a set amount of space in our small apartments, which is where most of us still live, to hold that wine for any number of years as it evolves, right? And I think you start saying, okay, well, what is the payoff going to be, right? And how worth it is it for me to hold this wine that you are telling me, winemaker, will drink well five to 10 years from its release date? Right. And what you hear a lot of consumers saying at this point, at least they'll say it to us is why doesn't the winery just hold that wine then and sell it? Like if they're telling me it's not at its optimum time when they're selling it, then why aren't they holding it and selling it to me what it is? Now, of course, the answer again is economics, right? They need to sell. And most of these wineries don't have that, uh, you know, ability built in because they've, they've been used to selling at a time when there were people willing to buy lots of their wine and hold it instead of them having to hold it, right? So changing and now holding back more bottles is really hard for the operations of the winery to all of a sudden just start doing that. Yeah. But if you were able to do that, I do think you'd see a lot more consumers become interested in not not maybe collecting a, a ton of bottles, but in enough because they understand what happens to a wine when it ages and they get interested in it if they find those flavors to be pleasurable. Right, but right now you're, there's there's just so few of those of those bottles on the market, especially at an affordable price, that you're never gonna be able to try it, and you're gonna be like, okay, well then, what's the point? Why would I ever do this at all? 
Yeah. I wonder too, you know, uh, since you were just out in California and I think talking to some some people on the winery side, you know, do do we have a do, do you have some sense for what how this, you know, evolution, the sort of maybe decline in in wine collecting has has affected the industry because I mean it, my sense is and, and again from having gone to visit myself and talking to you about it a little bit that it's not like you know there are still tons and tons of people going to you know Napa Valley uh, for wine tourism and still probably buying a fair bit of wine um, maybe not quite as much as they used to but are, are are they do you know you know are any of these wineries seeing decrease in people joining wine clubs is that what it's about or is it or like because obviously if you join a wine club you know you're kind of in well maybe the idea is that you're going to drink everything you know you're going to drink all the wine right. every time it shows up but i think a lot of people join it with at least the the idea that they're going to start you know some sort of collection so so what have the you know what have you seen or what did you hear from people there you know what are some of that the knock-on effects of of a decline in wine collecting as sort of a, a principal form of wine consumption so it's really interesting no one uh no one tells us the basis for their que- this question. It, it's come out a bunch at a lot of wineries, both large and small, on, on the business side of, hey, how do you think we're going to get young people into collecting wine? But then no one says to me, you know, oh, by the way, the reason I'm asking this question is because our wine, you know, our wine club subscriptions are down. Or the reason I'm asking this question is because we used to sell a lot of, you know, $150 bottles of wine. Now we're selling the lower end. Like, I don't, they, they don't tell me. So my inference is that probably both is true. That they're they're maybe seeing less younger people sign up for their wine clubs. Maybe they're also seeing less younger people buying those expensive bottles of which the tasting note says, you know, this is a really collectible thing that you'd want to open in the future instead of right now. Um, but they all clearly are thinking about it, right? So it's impacted enough that they're realizing that the 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 market has changed. Right, the the way that wine is being purchased and consumed, and the desires behind the way wine is being purchased has changed. Right, so it started being we were buying it not just to drink it right now, but to hold it for whatever reason, whether it was to think about how it would you know appreciate in price, or to hold it because you wanted to drink a you know amazing Napa Cabernet ten years down the road. But now it doesn't seem like anyone has those motivations, they're really buying stuff that they're going to pop soon. Uh, and and they, they don't really understand why. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the, th- the reasons we're talking about right now, which is that lack of understanding of the older wine um, or just e- access to it in the first place, right? You can't love something if you haven't tried it a few times uh, and space. Yeah. Well, and that, and that having tried it a few times thing is, is uh, another point I wanted to make, which is also like the other challenges, you know, the, the, Great, you know, great wines. However, you want to quantify that in general, um, with age, they're not just you know limited in terms of their availability, but they're also you know just you can't for the most part try those wines because they're so fucking expensive. I mean, again, unless you are oh, yeah. someone who is who is of tremendous means, in which case, like whatever, great, that's cool for you. You know, it, you don't even you know you could it could be a hundred percent the case that you know, great Napa Cabernet or great, you know, Bordeaux or whatever really does reach its, its, you know, apex of drinking at 20 or 25 years. But even I, a professional, have only had a few opportunities to try wines like that. And and usually it's, you know, you get a few 
you know, an ounce or two, you get a chance to sip it a little bit. It's not like I get to go home and, and enjoy a bottle uh, and really like kind of savor it. It's like just those wines are limited in terms of their availability. And because of that, and because of what's happened to the wine market are crazy expensive. And so no one has the opportunity to really develop any sense for what those wines taste like. And when you couple that with the fact that, you know, what might actually be available that's older is is potentially of sort of variable quality. And so older, you know, a, a not very good wine with age is still going to be not very good. I mean, age does not fix sins. It's it just you know it just doesn't work that way. Sadly, I've had people had people ask, unfortunately. And and the right. last the last thing I would say about this that's kind of been on my mind too, and it, and it ties into this is you know uh, independently from two two different um, people that I know who are who have been pretty serious wine collectors and are you know in their uh, I guess probably both in their late sixties. They're like they're cutting way down on what they're buying. Their sellers are full. Yeah, their sellers are full, and you know, kind of morbidly, like if you're almost seventy and you buy a wine that's supposed to be at its best in twenty years, you know, how confident can you be that you will be able to enjoy that wine? And you know, maybe you consider some of that stuff morbid, but yeah, I understand. And and I think that in some way that actually ties into what's going on with with our generation and younger too. Maybe not quite morbid in terms of like will will we ourselves be alive? But like our lives are so full of uncertainty, right? Like you know you may think right now, I mean not you specifically, but someone right now might think, hey, I got things pretty sorted, right? I, yeah, I have a I live in an apartment, but I have enough room to set aside, you know, to set aside for twenty or twenty five bottles. I can buy a small wine fridge, but shit, who knows what happens? Maybe you you know lose your job and you have to move back in with your parents, or you got to move to another city, or you know you meet someone when it upends your life you know people in their 20s and 30s inherently lead kind of chaotic lives and wine is just not wine collecting is not something that tends to thrive in chaotic times and and the problem is i think that what what we're seeing is and maybe what these wineries in california are seeing is people are not exiting out of that chaotic stage in their late 20s early 30s if they choose to sort of settle down in one way or another right they're they're still beset with student loans and um, and they're beset with, you know, a, a very, you know, a lot of places, a very, very difficult housing market. And so when, you know, we might have expected in previous generations, someone to say, okay, like, you know, now I'm a little bit more settled. And obviously, wine is far from the only place in, in our society where we're seeing this effect. You know, people are still kind of living in a lot of ways, like they're in their early 20s, at least their spending habits, and they're kind of, you know, what they're using their discretionary income on is, um, if they have it, is is not what we might have associated with people in their 30s uh, or late 20s even right. in the past. And, and right. so it really does raise this question for these wineries that have been, that have been oriented around selling ex- very expensive wine to people who, who intend to collect it or have it for prestige or things like that. What do they do? And, and, and I think I'm sure while a lot of the reason they're asking you is that they would like you to tell them. And I'm not sure, I mean, maybe you've got an answer that you want to share, but I, I'm not sure there's a clear answer for, for this one. Unfortunately. I mean, I do, I do think that the only clear answer I can come up with right now is if you want people to collect wine because you think your wine tastes better X years after release, if that's the reason, and this is the only solution, then you need to release it then. And I know that's hard economically for the winery as well, but that's the only way I think that you will have a majority of consumers that are able to get into those wines at what you think is peak drinking time, right? You've seen Rioja has done this model forever. They're only, I mean, they're not holding the bottles for decades, but they do. I mean, you know, Grand Reserve is held for almost four years before it hits the market from vintage, right? So they've done this for a while. It clearly works for them. I think 
because what you're saying, Zach, is very true. Chaos, I think, doesn't mean across the board that consumers are are spending less. I mean, we see that consumption models in our economy are continuing to rise. People are spending more on fashion. They're spending more on cars, et cetera. But it's all with you know that idea of basically immediate gratification, right? So if we are going to spend, we're, t- we're not spending as much on something that we'll appreciate, right? If you look at the housing markets, there's a lot more people, especially in cities, who are choosing instead of purchasing an apartment, I will rent a much sicker one. Because for my money right now, I could afford to buy something in which my down payment, my mortgage would not be as fancy as what I could afford to rent. And so I'd rather rent and have a much nicer condo in Williamsburg on the waterfront or something like that than own in potentially a neighborhood that's more up and coming in the city, right? Or has, or would make my commute further. Um, I think the same thing is true when, when you look at the wine market, right? Like why would I buy and hold something that you're telling me is going to get better in five to 10 years. I need to trust you. And maybe I could sell on the auction market down the road, or I could just buy something dope now. Yeah. And I think that most people are like, I'd rather just buy something dope now. Yeah. They buy white claws, not white burgundy. Exactly. Well, Zach, this is super interesting as always. Yeah. Always, always, uh, there's, there's so much to be, uh, to be kind of gleaned when we, tackle why are people doing what they're doing especially as it relates to the beverage industry and i think what's so interesting is like you know obviously we try to we try to do this a lot on this podcast um is nothing happens in a bubble right nothing happens in a vacuum so the same reason people aren't collecting is the same reason people are not buying as many houses or the same reason that people aren't you know buying as much high-end art or jewelry it's that right it's it's all connected and i think a lot of it makes sense when you think about it then the lens of what we're talking about, right? If you're just saying, okay, like well, what else happening in our lives? I think that that idea of that chaos piece makes a lot of sense, right? It's just that no one feels like right now, even though a lot of us are doing well, that that is that 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 doing well equals stability. Right. And I think that that's super interesting. Um dude, as always, such a pleasure. Um Everyone out there listening, thank you so much for listening to yet another episode. If you enjoy the show and want more people to know about it, which we hope you do, then please drop us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. And Zach, I'll see you right here again next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. Now for the credits. The Vinepair Podcast is produced by myself and Zach Jabal and is engineered by Nick Patry. We recorded out of cloud studios in Seattle, Washington, and also in our New York City headquarters. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair staff who help us conceive of the show every single week. Thanks again for listening.